Johnson, the Member Relations Manager here at Cherryland Electric Cooperative. And after two months of recording podcasts apart, the gang's back together, joined by our trusty general manager, Tony Anderson. We are. Everybody is here. Yeah, the gang's all here. And uh, also today, we are joined by Kevin Klein, who is the airport director at Traverse City Airport. He's been with the airport since 2002, serving as the director since 2011. Hey, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. So we're going to be talking about the airport. Uh, Cherry Capital Airport is the fourth largest commercial airport in the state, and it's growing. It's serviced by five airlines with nonstop service to 15 cities. Uh, they added two new carriers and several new nonstop flights this year. It's an exciting time at the airport. So we want to sit down with Kevin to discuss both the opportunities and challenges this time of growth and change will offer. So to kind of get started, Kevin, uh, I was reading an article that more than 500,000 people flew through TVC in 2018, which was up 5% over 2017. Are you seeing similar growth in 2019? And kind of what are your predictions for future growth? Well, 2019 is even better than 2018. Uh, we're up 14% over the 2018 numbers so far. And that was prior to uh, Allegiant starting its service here in October. So 19 has been one of the best years, and it's been mainly focused on our summer months. Uh, May, we were up about 24%. June, uh, over 22%. July, we were up uh, 15%. August, 16%. And September, up in 17%. And so it's been, it's been great growth, but it's not been just the new routes. Our core routes have been the majority of our success in people flying our core routes, the Chicago, Detroit, Minneapolis that we've seen for years, those have been our core routes and um, those numbers are up just as much. So it's been great. Uh, another record setting year for 2019. And we'll see now with Allegiant starting their service um, here that that number should you know only grow. So uh, when you look at uh, being the fourth largest based on uh, passenger employments, uh, we've already, through September, have passed Flint, which was three. Wow. So, you know, my prediction for the end of the year is we'll be solid number three in uh, passenger employments between Grand Rapids and Detroit. But the the one number I'm most proud of when we rank us is actually from an economic development standpoint. And that is our uh, annual contribution um, to the uh, to the state. And we're third in that. We're just shy of annual economic, economic impact of a billion dollars, just shy of that. And that's prior to Costco joining us at the airport and employing nearly 200 people. So those figures aren't even in that number. And so we surpassed Flint by over 400 million in economic impact. And so uh, Detroit Metro is about uh, 9 billion. Um, Grand Rapids is just shy of 4 billion and we're just knocking at the door at a billion. So. It was great. Uh, um, that's the number I'm most proud of is that economic impact to the region. And so um, that keeps growing. And, uh, you know, and it's based on what happens when people fly into our community hmm. uh, from both business and leisure. We have the highest per spend of those coming into our community than any, um, any other city, county in the state of Michigan. And so our average, average per passenger spend is $752 per person. That doesn't include airfare. That's just what they're spending in our town from uh, hotel to food to uh, whatever meeting prep they're having. Um, 
and uh, and so that that is interesting um, to see that that number for us. So and, and that seems like a conservative number to me because when you get two nights hotels and a couple of days of meals, it doesn't take long to get to seven hundred dollars. Not at all. So it could easily be higher than that. It could be. It could be. The longer you stay, the greater that's going to be. Yeah. So what do you think is driving that growth in twenty nineteen over twenty eighteen? Because it's almost triple. You you were five percent in eighteen. Now you're fourteen percent in nineteen. What's the driver I, there? I think it's mainly business that's been behind that driver. Our leisure travel has been pretty consistent over the years, but our, our business travel has returned solid as the economy is growing. Um, and then we're also seeing, um, you know, that people in business, um, you know, you compete with those doing um, Skype and some of the other methods uh, for meetings today, but the, re- the business travel is returning to those meetings to go face-to-face. And when the economy is good, you see a lot of that happening. The other day I was traveling back on a flight uh, from Chicago, and um, a gentleman I was sitting next to, he uh, was bringing a pie tin to go sell his pie tin to our various vendors in the area. Um, and I thought, wow, hmm. that, that, what, what an interesting concept. I did not think about a simple pie tin and the dynamics of how that can produce a better pie. And those are the things that are <laughs> happening now. Um, and it's, you know, we look at our tech sectors that are growing. Um, our agritourism is, you know, another one that's growing. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of movement in that regard. But we're still from a, a leisure uh, business traveler, 60-40 split with the leisure traveler being the most. So How does that 60-40 split compare historically to our split? Has that kind of been pretty consistent 60-40 for a long time? Or are we seeing... It, over the last, you know, I'll say four years, it's been close to that 60-40. But prior to that, um, there was a – that – it was – at one point in time, it was close to 80-20. And mm-hmm. so we've really seen that business travel return to the market. And I think a lot of that is because of the hub destinations that we have, mm-hmm. the easy connectivity that uh, is taking place in those summertime months. Um, and so we're, we're, we're seeing those things improve. Uh, where we didn't have that. And so now with 15 destinations, you're pretty much, from our ability to reach, connecting to every major hub that's out there and available. So is in terms of the seasonality, I mean, I would think for, certainly for leisure travels, travelers, obviously summer is your big get. Are For business travelers, are they more spread out? Or are you seeing, do you still have a pretty big disparity seasonally? Yes, we do have a big disparity seasonally. And I think... Um, that's very true with uh, the business traveler. We're, we're starting to see more of it spreading out in, you know, going year round as the economy strong. But when the economy is on the weaker side, it's still focused in the summer months. And mm-hmm. that's because, you know, the tour, the agritourism, the agricultural products that we do up in northern Michigan, that's one of the main drivers of that type of business. But um, now that you're seeing, you know, businesses like Haggerty, continue to grow businesses like ej um you know distribution centers opening up all over the country um things like that are really changing who's traveling out of the airport and that growth is starting to spread out this year the dallas flight that it's normally a flight that um, in the past few years ended mid-august then it went to labor day and this year it ended in october on october 2nd that's what drove our september growth Hmm. um, is continuing to have that flight so with conversations with American Airlines, we're looking to stretch that flight even further. And so 
um, it's very exciting. And the feedback we received from American is that flight alone was one of their best flights at the Dallas hub, um, concern of revenue generation and uh, uh, profitability. So um, it's very exciting when we can be on that top of the list for some of these carriers. And such a great asset for the people who live here, who are flying out of here, even only occasionally, right? Like we may not be able to sustain being able to justify that particular flight, but as, if, as long as we continue to attract people onto that flight, it's great to be able to leave here and jump straight to Dallas or straight to Phoenix or Denver or wherever. So that that's a great benefit to our community. Yeah. You mentioned East, EJ, East Jordan Iron Works, for listeners who don't uh, go by EJ. They're, they're a big employer in our region. But we, we think of the Traverse City Airport as Traverse City, and or I do. But when I'm on planes and talking to people, they come from a wide area. What do you consider the area? Is it up to Alpena or Houghton Lake, or what do you consider your market area? Well, if you asked me that question five years ago, I would say you would take it from uh, just south of Cadillac over to I-75, north to Sault Ste. Marie, and then back down the, the west coast of of lower Michigan. But what changed that dynamic for us is actually not the air service, but Costco coming to the airport and being a tenant. That dynamic shifted um, our catchment area all the way over to Alpena instead of I-75, but went all the way over to the east side. Um, And then into Sault Ste. Marie, Canada, almost an hour past Sault Ste. Marie, Canada, and then all the way over to Marquette. That caught the eye of Allegiant um, and looking at that catchment area. Um, and they utilize a um, very similar business model that Costco has for the Allegiant and how they'll track customers. And what we found out, uh, even on the first flights, is we have a lot of customers coming from the UP that flew out on that first flight. But they shopped at Costco first. They loaded up. <laughs> then they went on vacation and they're, you know, it's interesting, and it's, and it's businesses that are in the UP just buying cases of water for their employees, buying just bulk items that are normal, everyday things that are there. But at Costco opened that up and realized for Allegiant that they could really do that and attract uh, that customer from afar. And the first flight, so we had people from Marquette, but we also had people from Rockford and from Detroit fly out of Traverse City on that first flight going down to Tampa St. Pete. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's amazing because Allegiant doesn't fly out of Detroit? Uh, no, they fly out of Flint and Grand Rapids. Okay. And so um, we were shocked. I, You know, I, I, I was surprised to see these people come up, but they said, one, they are loyal Allegiant customers, and they want to be on some of those first flights. But it was all about when the schedule was. They could go on those days that fit their schedule and – they picked Traverse City because that worked. And mm-hmm. so uh, they're willing to drive. And that's what's interesting about the Allegiant customers. That customer will drive six plus hours to fly out on those flights. And, you know, we think about it as it's our local airport, but now we've become a regional airport just because of that type of service. Yeah, really cool. early on with the Allegiant thing, you and I talked at a chamber meeting or somewhere in, in the airport, and you told me that Allegiant wasn't going to go to Mesa, Arizona for a, a year or two <laughs> because they had to get their numbers up. And then it was 30 days later, there was a flight to Mesa, which is close to my heart because I have family there. So I'm like, what happened? They must have liked the numbers they saw right out of the gate or something. Well, that's a lesson I've learned, never say never, because (laughs) um, you'll always be surprised. But what happened was uh, the three Florida flights, when they put those out for booking, 
were solid right away. The interest in Allegiant was uh, we mirrored what would normally be a large market like a Pittsburgh in the way those initial flights booked. And so they then were evaluating about 20, I think it was 24 cities at the time for Phoenix. And we were, of course, being a new city on the list, but we weren't, you know, until they saw those bookings, we probably weren't going to get that flight. But once we saw the bookings, we now weren't the low-hanging fruit anymore. We were solid player. And they took a chance on us versus some other communities um, that had been on the list a long time. And I was shocked. Uh, when I got the call, I was actually driving home from work, and they called me. I had to pull over, and, <laughs> and I couldn't. I, I was shaking. I couldn't take notes so fast. It was great. Um, and so I, I think really when you look at the amount of uh, traffic that we see um, in the wintertime going to uh, Phoenix, that um, that it's a great starting time. November is a great starting time for them to do that. It's exciting. Mm. I, I booked a flight to Mesa in January as soon as they opened up ticket sales. So, uh, so given all these changes, many of which are associated with growth of traffic at the airport, uh, what kind of upgrades or changes do, do you envision in order to accommodate that growth? Well, the biggest thing that we need to work on is our terminal building. Um, and, you know, with that comes the associated things like parking. Um, when we look at the terminal building, in the design of peak time. It's really designed to pass about 380 passengers per hour at its peak moment in time. Um, and we're exceeding that now on our busiest uh, Saturdays, and Saturdays are our busiest time in the summer, um, and we're exceeding that four times a day. And so we're now in the justification uh, process. We received a grant this year um, in 2019 uh, to study the expansion of the terminal. So it's studying it at con conceptual ideas will be brought forward and then financial justification to provide uh, to go after future grants. I, we estimate the expansion of the terminal to be around $20 million. And so, um, and that's mainly focused on the hold room area. The building itself is in the shape of a T. If you look at it on Google Earth, You'll look at it as a T, and eventually we'll have to change that shape into an H. And uh, we're with four jet bridges and two ground-loading gates. Um, with the number of passengers we're seeing, we'll probably be looking at uh, 10 jet bridges and two ground-loading gates uh, to accommodate that growth. And then other things that will be dealt with, um, a lot of new ADA code. Uh, uh, one of the... Um, uh, biggest thing in the AD code is service animals, relief areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now we have a relief area that once you go through security, it's um, outside by the cafe um, and we have an outside uh, patio uh, and we have a relief area there, but those are gonna be built indoors. And we see them at a, large, a lot of the large hubs out there now, but we need to build one indoors. So that'll be part of the expansion. Uh, mother rooms. Um, continue to grow and so uh, looking for that um, but then you know overall you know energy efficient building um, that we're re really looking at new concepts um, HVAC system will need to be replaced um, you know fire systems installed all those things that you know we still we still call the terminal the new terminal it's 15 years old <laughs> and so um, 
so a lot of new things and new updates, security systems updates, paging system, um, and general flight information displays uh, will be updated. So a lot of good things in, in that regard will, will take place. And so that justification will be happening here in the next um, couple of years, and then we'll apply for design grants and then hopefully construction. So, you know, three to five years, I'd like to be in that, you know, construction phase of doing things. So we're excited about that. Um, parking, though, is one of our biggest challenges. And so with all this great summer growth, um, normally the reverse happens. It's the inbound traveler in the summer that's coming in. So our parking lot pressures usually aren't there in the summer. Uh, we're on the full side, but we don't have the pressure. Well, this summer with all the growth, we're parking in the grass. We were parking around uh, medians. And so uh, we had to make a quick change. And one of the first things we did is we moved our employee parking lot to where our fire station is. So from the east side of the building to the west side of the building. Um, and then we opened up some overflow parking um, in that area. And then uh, the airport commission um, wanted a temporary parking put into place. Um, and so they passed um, to spend $100,000 to do uh, basically a gravel parking lot. Well, um, we quickly learned that having a gravel parking lot in northern Michigan going into winter weather isn't going to work. <laughs> so we worked with Elmers, and they did a great job of putting an uh, asphalt patch on it. And um, so we have that temporary, so we added another 130 spots. So from the overflow parking lot to the temporary lot, we added um, 230 spots. So that has provided, everybody's now is off the grass. Um, the lot's still full, um, but we now have that uh, space to accommodate everybody between the overflow lot and this new temporary lot, which has been worked out great. Yeah, that's a great addition. I, I pulled up one day and there were cars everywhere. It was like a soccer game or something on the <laughs> grass. and I had to hunt for a parking spot. Took me longer to find a parking spot than it did to get through TSA, <laughs> and that's great for the airport. But I was like, "Wow, I've, I've never seen that before." And you know, this this September really it, it it drove that message home. We had to do something quickly, but I have to give a lot of praise to Elmer's because mm -hmm. we turned that temporary mm -hmm. concept around in less than thirty days, wow. and they got it done. And it so was, without their, without their leadership, um, it wouldn't have happened. So. A lot of praise to Elmers and that team that did that. But what's going to happen next then is we have to design more parking. So that temporary lot has to be turned into a permanent lot. Proper storm drainage, lighting, et cetera, curbing uh, will have to be built. So our goal is to take the 130 spaces to make them 260. And then we're going to pave all those grass areas that were around the outsides that we were parking cars. We're going to turn those into spots. And then we're restriping our spots. Um, our spots were 10 foot apart. The standard parking in uh, Traverse City is 8 foot. Um, we still love our um, car spaces to be a little bit wider because it snows. So we're going just to 9. Nice. Um, and uh, that total then with the lots being added, uh, the new spots all around the new lot and the restriping will add 430 total spots. Nice. Our, our current lot is 800 spots. So, yeah. so um that that'll be a you know good 50 percent increase and we think that will accommodate um you know what we're looking to at right now and into the future 
So, so obviously, potentially expanding to new gates and also parking. I want to go back to you talked about energy so energy solutions for the airport. I know you received a, a grant, right? To, yes. to do an energy is it an energy plan, an energy assessment? Kind of what, what, where um, are you at in that process? It's a they call it a sustainable energy study, um, and really it it's to take an inventory what we can do at the airport, what opportunities are in the future and how can we achieve those opportunities. And so um, the main focus of it was to look at renewables and uh, it began with solar, um, a good focus on solar. It went into geothermal, uh, battery storage. And then of course, even though we're an airport, we still looked at wind um, and wind energy. Um, and so we really um, vetted out a lot of different opportunities and what was what was real. And some of the first things that were easily achievable um, was how we were metering the building. The building itself was on old-fashioned, I call them the dial meters, sure. and yep. not the smart meters. <laughs> and so we're, we're working um, this last half of the year um, to switch all those meters over to smart meters. And so that was our first, you know, mm-hmm. Light bulb, sorry, the pardon <laughs> the pun to go off, but it, it you know, it's that uh, aha moment, like how simple could this be to yeah. to change uh, 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 that? And so we did that, and then solar really um, came out as as a, a means to uh, uh, help some of our sustainable energy goals. And so um, after we did that, we uh, partnered with Traverse City Light and Power, who's the power provider for the airport, and we went out for an RFP to see if we could put a solar farm on the airport. Um, one of the things the airport has is open land. We have to have it clear for obstructions and hazards. But why can't we use that open land for something productive? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that as a trend across the airport industry. Uh, Chattanooga just opened a solar farm, Minneapolis-St. Paul. Um, we've seen Tallahassee. And there, those are relatively smaller farms, one megawatt to three megawatts, and we have enough land that could potentially be about 10 megawatts. And so this RFP is addressing that. Um, We had uh, 14 companies that attended the pre-bid meeting um, and five submitted proposals. So those proposals are being reviewed, and hopefully there will be a recommendation towards the end of the month um, on what we can possibly do. And there's all kinds of creative things. One of the biggest challenges, though, is the FAA requires us to um, get fair market value for the land. So it's that's difficult when you're trying to offset some of those sustainable energy goals. But the creativity in some of the proposals is looking to uh, do we get a discount in our power. Mm-hmm. Um, our power bill is, you know, about a half million dollars a year. And if we can discount that bill and offset that to meet the fair market value, um, maybe this project can really work. So we're excited to see that. Um, But the interest is to meet the overall community uh, goals on uh, sustainable energy. And so we're excited to be a partner in that. That's great. That's good stuff. I I think we're getting close to time, but we've got enough time to – we should dive into the governance issue a little bit. Absolutely. Airport Authority – 
not airport authority. Well, how, where is that at? Explain that to our listeners. Yeah, and, and maybe start by, just in case our listeners aren't familiar, explaining the current structure. Certainly, yeah. certainly. So, um, well, I'll, I'll do it through history, and, and that may lead us to some other questions. But <laughs> in history over time, the city of Traverse City operated the airport back in 1935. Then the federal government came in in World War II and took over the airport. <laughs> Um, for during that time frame. So after World War II, it reverted back to the city, and it was city-managed until about 1971. And the city at that time wanted to get more, uh, they saw it as a regional asset, so they wanted to get more groups involved. And so they went out to try to bring in 12 counties into the airport, um, the airport commission and form a commission. At the time, um, Grand Traverse County and Leelanau County uh, came into it, and the city then formed what's called the Northwestern Regional Airport Commission. And they did that because they really were looking to form an authority at that time. However, the state aeronautics code only allowed one airport to be an authority, and that was Detroit Metro. And so you had, it was based on a number of passengers, and I think you had to have over 10 million passengers. So what happened between the 70s and, and 2015 is airports would uh, legislatively uh, filed to become an authority, and so they did that. So our current governance as a commission then uh, followed that really until 1990 with the three players involved. And in 1990, then the city left the airport commission, and the property then is owned by both Grand Traverse County and Leelanau County uh, 50-50. However, there's a financial formula that puts the overall burden of financial uh, operation onto Grand Traverse County at 85% and 15% with Leelanau County. And that's how the board is made up of five members from Grand Traverse County, two members from Leelanau County. However, the airport's self-sufficient, so there's no local taxpayers' uh, dollars put into the airport. It's all airport users that pay for it. So 2015, between 1990 and 2015, um, airports um, in the industry as a whole have been looking to change government structures and authority models are becoming more and more normal. And so um, in 2015, the state of Michigan passed the Airport Authority Act. When we read that act, it's very similar to what we are as an airport commission today. And so um, the different government structures that make up the authority, we're, very, we're pretty much parallel with that. And so that our agreement to operate the airport on behalf of the two counties expires in 2040. Now, it may seem a long ways away, but when you do 20-year leases, that's tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so our ability to lease long-term drove us to look at the government structure to say, whether we stay as a commission or we go to an authority, we need to make a decision now, not 20 years from now. And so um, that's what drove a study. And so we began our strategic and business planning process, and out of that then we went into the government study which formed a committee between both counties. It's called the Airport Advisor, uh, Governance Advisory Committee, uh, made up of three members from Leonel County, three members from Grand Traverse County, three members from the airport. And we discussed over the last seven months on the pros and cons um, and really dove into the agreement of what's you know, taken place over the years. Uh, we also looked at the property title, um, and different things from grants that transferred from the city to the counties. And we looked at all of this, and 
we found a lot of um, just overall discrepancies on, you know, from legal issues to easement issues to rights and zoning and all those things are coming up. And so that was one thing that said, now's the time. We have to look at this. And so as we dove into that, um, our consultant, Steve Baldwin, um, and Steve Baldwin Associates put together a report. And at last um, October's meeting, um, they uh, accepted the report from the, at the governance committee. And the recommendation out of that is to follow the 2015 uh, Act 95 Airport Authority um, Act and uh, proceed following that as a governance model. And so the committee accepted that and then is forwarding on to the airport uh, commission. And so today at 3 p.m., uh, we're having a study session with the full airport commission. And then that will be handed to, uh, at the end of November, for a vote on the report and to give a recommendation to the two counties on what's the path forward. What we looked at is, in those studies, is do we stay the same? Do we modify our agreement as a commission? Do we become an authority? Or we even looked at, do we create new legislation? So that's the in-depth of the, of the study, and it went well. A lot of the comments, um, we held a, an invitation for public comment in September. We had over 60 people attend. And really what the public indicated to us is how nimble can the airport be? We want to make sure the airport can negotiate contracts, negotiate with airlines, um, and really stay self-sufficient. And that's a concern from a lot of people. In current, the current agreement right now, if the airport were to fail financially, the complete burden would be on the two counties. And so from a financial liability, that's, that's a big concern for the two counties and how they can operate. So having an authority um, would create a financial barrier um, for the counties to protect them in long term. Um, and so those are a lot of things that were looked at. Um, and so we'll see. Um, you know, as, as I say, I remain neutral because at the end of the day, we're going to get up and run an airport every day. <laughs> um, but what we're really looking for is what is our path forward and how are we going to stay in that governance? And um, I, I think the two choices that have emerged is the authority and to modify the agreement with the current commission. I think the authority is more the, the, the leadership in the airport commission is their preference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that will be the recommendation, but we'll see at the November meeting. Well, I appreciate your desire to stay neutral. I'm not going to. I'm going to say that I think authority makes sense, given the conversation we just had about this growth into being a regional airport. Why should only Grand Traverse County and Leelanau County then take on all of the potential risk of failure? Mm -hmm. And also, given that growth and the challenges and opportunities it'll bring you at the airport, being as nimble as possible seems like a high priority for the region. So... You, you have the endorsement, not of Cherryland. I don't think I'm authorized to do that, but of, of Rachel Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would chime in there and agree with that because it's really the burden is on Grand Traverse County at 85%. Mm-hmm. Leelanau's uh, 15% could be significant, but 85% is, is a lot to put on Grand Traverse County. So I applaud you for being self-sufficient and, and certainly support anything that keeps that going. And the message to our listeners is use the airport. Make it self-sufficient by using the airport. And please fly to Mesa because I want that flight to continue for a long time. <laughs> and I, I do as well. So we are we are running out of time, but I do want to uh, make sure we have time for fun facts. We asked everyone to bring one to share. Tony, do you have a fun fact? I do. There is a 
Airline Cooperative, ACO, it's a membership organization formed by a broad group of international airlines with the structure of a cooperative society. The pivotal aim of this co-op is to share non-competitive information and work together to increase awareness of relevant safety and security concerns, improve efficiency, reduce costs, learn, and grow. As of March 2015, there were 147 airlines in this group, and these airlines are located in 66 different countries at 116 different airport-based locations. So you don't think of airlines and airports as being in the cooperative model, but they are. There's a cooperative for everything. Kevin, did you bring a fun fact? Well, following up on the history, two fun facts. One, I've been a Cherryland member since 2000, April of 2003, when we finally bought our home, when we moved up here in 2002. So uh, that's fun fact number one. March 2003 here, so good good timing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's fun fact number one. But fun fact number two goes back to the history we talked about. A lot of people, when they looked at the airport and why is the airport here, how did it develop, it really came out of the World War II days. And the fun fact is, is... Most people don't know that Cherry Capital Airport was one of two top-secret military bases for drone technology in World War II. That's a great fun fact. That's a fantastic Drones in World War II. Drones in World War II. And the reason is, of course, the Japanese had the kamikaze. And so Mm -hmm. we did not know how to combat that that weapon. And so um, there was a carrier in West Grand Traverse Bay. And so they started the base as a pilot training base to fly and land on a carrier in the bay. However, they started flying drones from the airport doing the same thing. They would actually place mannequins in the cockpit in case they crashed, and they would send actual rescue teams out to rescue the mannequin to keep it top secret. So it was Traverse City and Virginia Beach were the two airports. That's, a, that's an awesome fun fact I, I, and maybe a future story for a magazine. I, I actually hate having to follow that fun fact, especially because I took a really different approach this time. So I had the opportunity recently to join Kevin and several others at the airport to talk through some of the things we as a community would love to see out of the expansion of the terminal. And my only contribution to that cause was shot down pretty quickly, which is that I wanted the water bottle refillers to also have a complimentary beer refiller. (laughs) And I was told that can't be done. However, on your behalf, I did a little research and I came up with a second idea. Nashville has a terminal-wide liquor license so that you can buy your beer at the designated stores but then carry it to your gate where you can enjoy it while waiting for your plane. So that's that's my modified request for the beer refiller next to the water refiller. Feel free to take it under yeah. consideration at a future commission meeting. Yeah. We're working on it. All right, I can tell you that one. Actually, if I can jump in one quick, Ron Limcool and Cindy Limcool who operate the cafe and gift shop, They've been working with the Michigan Liquor Commission to do just that. Yes. There you go. You so heard if you, it here first. So if you run into a short, drunk girl on an airplane, <laughs> you know why. I mean, I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it in, under control. But yes, you, and you heard it here everything, first. Everything in moderation. Breaking news on Co-op Energy Talk for the first time ever. Well, I want to thank you, Kevin, for taking the time to come and update our listeners on the airport. And we're very excited about not only the airport's impact in our region, but the plans you have, whether it's energy or just terminal expansion and continue to expand the capacity of the airport in the region. So thank you for all the work you do and for taking the time. Thank you very much for having me. And I, I, I will chime in as well. Congratulations on a job well done. It's, it's a great airport. I have an opportunity to go through it quite often of late, and it's excellent.